if you're too fixed on how your career needs to go, then that might stop you. But there are so many different ways that you could get to where you want to be. If you are a creative in the entertainment industry looking for inspiration and practical ideas about how to take the next steps in your career, you are in the right place. My name is Rebecca Doyle and I work in film and television in Los Angeles. I learned so much from the ups and downs of the talented, innovative people surrounding me and I want to share those insights with you. Join in every other week to hear the break-in stories of people who overcame challenges and found unconventional avenues to pursue their dream careers in an industry that has no set path. Today's guest is our first international interview, and we are getting into all things British TV, breaking into the industry in the United Kingdom, attending the same college as Christopher Nolan, and the immigration experience to get a job in film in a major city. Leah Yvonne Kwong is a self-described paperwork enthusiast who got her start on sets like Disney's live-action Aladdin. In her work as an in-house production coordinator at British TV company 11th Hour Films, she works on shows including Paramount Plus's The Killing Kind, Freebie's Alex Ryder, based on the popular eponymous IP and masterpieces Magpie Murders. She received her master's in producing at Victorian College of the Arts in Australia following her Bachelor of Laws from the University College London, where she was president of the Film and TV Society, which is actually where I met Leah in 2015 when I was a member. We're getting into a lot of great stuff today, including the experience working across multiple countries while trying to immigrate, working in-house versus freelance, and how to acknowledge your true passion in filmmaking when it's not the part of the process everyone glamorizes. Let's jump into the interview. Leah, thank you so much for doing your first ever podcast interview with me. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with what is going on right now that you are excited about. I know there are a ton of shows coming out and that are currently in production, post-production at 11th Hour Films, where you work. Yeah, so I work at 11th Hour Films, which is a TV drama production company in London. And we have four shows that are in post or in production right now. And one of our shows, The Killing Kind, is coming out on Paramount Plus in the UK on the 7th September, which is very exciting because it's the first show that I've worked on at 11th Hour that's actually going to be seen by other people. So I'm excited to see it too. And we're also in post-production for season three of Alex Ryder. I grew up reading the books and um, very excited for this season. I saw the first two episodes and I loved it. So yeah. And for Alex Ryder specifically, you have a personal connection to that IP that you actually were able to mention in your interview to land this job. Isn't that right? Well, I grew up reading the books. And um, when I interviewed for the job, they asked me if I saw the new adaptation of the show. And I had not at that point, but I did see the film. And I also had the behind the scenes making of like companion book to it, which I read loads when I was like 11 at that time. And that inspired me to look into filmmaking more. I I told that to my bosses at that time, and I don't really know what they thought of that answer, but I ended up being hired. So it it worked out, and I did end up watching the show after I started working there, so. (laughs) 
So just being so close to the IP, being familiar with it and having it be a part of your childhood, how has that impacted your excitement about this show maybe compared to other shows? Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, we have a really great team working on the show and also the execs leading the show from our company is really close to the IP as well. So we know that it's going to be creatively like what the author and the writers all wanted from like an adaptation and this new season is going to be really good I think the scripts are the best and I think my bosses think so too so we'll be be good so that is the teen action spy series going on over at 11th hour films you can watch season 1 and 2 currently on freebie and then I know there's a show that you can't talk about but there's a reason you're particularly excited about it can you tell me more about that yeah I mean I'm really sad that I can't talk about this yet but I'm very excited for this series because it's really exactly what I would be watching as a as a person even if I wasn't working on this show and I read the first four scripts and there were some previous scripts for the remainder of the of this season and I went back and watched all of that and found out who did it in the end so that's maybe all I could say (laughs) because I I just couldn't stop myself from like waiting for the new scripts to come out Mm -hmm. and I'm very excited that we're hopefully finally gonna make it okay and then also in the works is season two of magpie murders so magpie murders season two or moonflower murders is a cozy crime mystery drama series about a publisher who solves murder mystery and it's targeted at like a 50s, 60s audience. And it's done, season one is done really well in the US on Masterpiece and also here in the UK on the BBC. So we're very excited for season two. I think from what I've heard on the ground, it's even better than season one. Well, also because you're on season two, right? That's obviously ultimate boost to season two. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's over in Ireland that uh, so I'm a little bit further removed from it but yeah I think the scripts are really great and it's all it's very funny when we were at the read-through everyone was laughing out loud so it it will be great great and is it called Moonflower Murders versus Magpie Murders? Is that kind of a Philosopher's Stone versus Sorcerer's Stone translation thing for regions? or No, so it's based on a book series, or there are two books. So the first book is Magpie Murders, the second book is Moonflower Murders. So the second season is just going to be out as Moonflower Murders. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's just... And is the new season, is it kind of like the House of the Dragon versus Game of Thrones where the storylines are entirely different or is it just different seasons with the same protagonists? So it's um, it's with the same protagonists, but the story is a standalone uh, mystery. So it's set in the 1950s and also in the modern day. And at, like with Magpie Murders as well, there's like parallel storylines. So there's like a fictional book and a real life publisher and there are two mysteries. Well, there are three in Moonflower and actors play like multiple roles. And so the ensemble like cast involved in the mystery are different, but the lead characters are the same. Yeah, totally. So kind of like Miss Marple, Hercule Poirot, those kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of vibe and definitely like a similar genre and audience, I think. Yeah. Okay, so The Killing Kind coming out in the UK the 7th of September. You've been working on that for the past year it's coming out on paramount plus this is a big milestone for you what was your favorite part of working on that production i think my favorite part of that production and all our productions is 
working with the team because the production teams are all so fun to work with. And I work in the office in London while they're filming in Bristol or for our other show, Rebus, in Scotland. But I talk to them every day and I like, they update me on what's going on. And I just love meeting new people. And that's my favorite part of working in the industry. So I think it's great to do that, but in a slightly different capacity, I think. And are most of the crews that are working on these shows in the UK, you know, in the US, they all the time will send crews to Canada or Prague. It sounds like most of the shows that you're working on film in in the UK, Ireland, Scotland. Yeah. So most of the time in Bristol, we um, fake it for London. But this show that we we've been working on in Scotland. Yeah, we the writer is Scottish. The IP is Scottish. The actors all like actually it's a, it's a truly like Scottish story. So I think that's very cool. Yeah. So I want to talk more about your time at 11th Hour Films generally. You got hired there as a production coordinator, but it's a very small team. You assist the CEO. You're very involved in all of the day-to-day productions and you get to, you know, play a significant role on the team. What made you apply for that role and what has your experience been like so far? This is your first time working in-house. Yeah, so... I moved back to London in 2021 and at that time I wasn't really sure where my career was going to go and then I saw this job come up and I thought that it was interesting because I wanted to know a little bit more about what goes on like after we finish shooting the show. I come from a physical production background and also about like business and I just finished a master's in producing. So I thought I wanted to learn more from like actual producers who like bring projects to studios and build projects up. So I applied for the job as the assistant to the CEO. So that was my original job title. So starting out in that role, I think I got to learn a lot about how the company operates and just about the the company in general. It's a very small team. We only have eight people full time, but we're also part of the Sony group. So we interact with their teams a lot. And starting out as an assistant there, I think that's been really helpful for me because I know a lot about the company now. And I feel like that informs what I do now in my production role. So I was there for about nine months and then got promoted to a more production role and then had four productions just suddenly spring up on us from having zero. So um, it's been a big learning curve, but I work with great people. And I think it's been really like eye-opening to learn about marketing and publicity. And I do a lot of that in my role. I work with our execs to um, liaise with the studio and the networks in like marketing the show, setting up all the press activity and publicity. Um, you're basically involved start to finish. So you're, you're reading the scripts. I know that because you're so excited about some that have yet to be shot. And then you are in contact with the production crews, getting to know the production crews, doing the production process. You are involved in the post process. And then you even get to work with the PR and publicity teams very closely. So you're really involved in every single step of these shows. Yeah. And I think in our company, our shows move really quickly from like the green light to it coming out, like with the killing kind that literally got greenlit in like a year and a little bit ago. And then now it's out. And did you guys have a script at that point when it was greenlit? We had one script. (laughs) 
It's six episodes. So we had one script. We had a pilot script. So in, in the last year and a few months, probably edited that script, had five more scripts written, shot the whole show, edited the whole show, and now it's coming out. Yeah. So we, we tend to move really fast as a company and we're going to be starting the same process with the show that we I'm very excited about soon. So it is really like being there from start to finish, like seeing the discussions from, of like getting the green light until a show coming out. And I've never had the opportunity to see that before. So it's cool to see, <laughs> to, to learn more about that side of things. Definitely. What are the pros and cons of working in-house at a production company like you are now versus maybe working freelance or just in physical production like your former background? I think the main pro is definitely having a stable job, having stable hours and knowing what you're doing each day. Well, not exactly, but knowing who you're going to be working with and having kind of some stability in life. (laughs) But the con, I guess, is that I do like change. You're a bit far from everyone else and you don't get the thrill of filming something and wrapping up like being really intense for like six months or three months or however long a shoot is and then just wrapping it up it's kind of a a longer process it's not exactly a con but it is different and I think I was warned about it when I started the job and I find myself quite enjoying it but I do miss being on the ground sometimes, mainly for the people, I think. It's it's always just about the people for me. I love the people I work with though, so. Yeah, and then with this as well, you get to actually finish and deliver the show and learn about the sales and business. And you said it's less physically intense. Can you speak to any of that? Yeah, well, I started out in the locations department and then I moved into the AD department. And then I moved into a production office and I left the AD department because it, it's the UK and it's it's cold here in the winter <laughs> and we're outside most of the time and you're on your feet for like 12 hours and that was just too much for me. I, you know, like I think I really liked it when I was doing it, but once you get to a certain point, I realized that I just like being in an office and I like my paperwork and I think I've really found the type of career path that I want to go with and I never thought that it was going to be in-house but now that I've been doing it for over a year I think that that is the direction I want to go down and I just think never again being out in the cold. (laughs) Okay so speaking of finding your calling you only recently kind of discovered exactly what it is that you wanted to do. Can you tell me about falling in love with that part of the process? Yeah so the funny thing is I actually studied law for my undergrad degree and um, for years I thought that like I would never do anything to do with law. I just tried all different sides of film. I even tried like being a camera assistant just to like not do production or business or anything of that side even though everyone says like oh with a law background you should try. And now I find myself like working in a company and seeing like the deal making process and the contracting process. And I think like, wow, actually business affairs and like logistics, paperwork, all of that stuff is actually like the stuff that I am interested in. People were right all along. Sometimes other people can be right and you can be wrong. So (laughs) yeah. It also sounds like you found your strengths, right? So through trying all of those things, you're able to identify, oh, this is actually what I really love. Yeah, I mean, I think um, working on set, I thought I really liked that. And I realized that I wasn't really that strong kind of in that environment. And being in an office, I think, and being more in the like logistics and like organizational side of it, and particularly the um, 
paperwork side of it, I think, yeah, being on the paperwork side, I do feel like I'm more in my element. And um, I think I I just like a good spreadsheet. I'm, I'm a little nerd, like on the inside, you know, and just can't escape that. So let's briefly touch on the strike currently as we're recording this. I feel like I'm saying this every episode since recently after this podcast launched, but the WGA and SAG are both on strike in Los Angeles. The film industry is a little bit different over here. How, if at all, has the strike been affecting the UK productions? I think it's been affecting a lot of the freelance crew that are out there. Um, You hear about it like every day that people are, their work has like pretty much dried up because I think we really rely on US studio productions and like these big shows coming over here and filming here. So the people who are are working on those high levels of shows are out of work and they're trying to kind of get jobs on smaller shows and then that just kind of has a knock-on effect on other people but I personally like our company does like you know UK British shows as we were talking about just now so we don't have any like WGA or SAG people in our current shows so it's not really affected us that much like when the strikes came out well when the strikes started our actors were like maybe a bit hesitant about publicity and that um you know our show that's coming out next week that there has been some hesitation there and some maybe delays in terms of getting the show marketed but now i think it has settled so for us we're in a really good position that our shows haven't been affected but i know that for a lot of the freelancers out there including a lot of my friends it has been difficult to get enough work to sustain themselves so hopefully maybe a deal will be reached yeah definitely i know we're all hoping for that very soon here so i want to get in before we go back to the beginning of your path i do want to talk more about the professional side that led you to your current position at 11th hour and finding this this area and passion in the kind of logistics and business affairs side of film we can start at ucl that's university college london actually just around the corner from where we're recording this in bloomsbury london so while at ucl what was your involvement in film yeah so i started at ucl in 2013 and in my first year i i knew that I was going to join the Film Society because Christopher Nolan went there and I think everyone at UCL always talks about this and I think it's become kind of a meme at UCL that film stock people can't stop talking about this and when I joined the Society a new role opened up for like a it it was called a drama coordinator but you basically help organize all the film making in the in the Society so I ran for the role because nobody else knew what it was and ended up joining the committee and staying there for all three years and becoming president in my final year and I made a couple of short films I produced a couple of short films while I was at UCL also supervised most of the films that went through our pipeline and then um, just socialized with a lot of people and a lot of people who joined the society at the time that I was there ended up working in the industry a lot of my friends from UCL are people from that time and they're now all working in film or TV or entertainment in some form. So it's been a great place to start, even though there wasn't a film course at the time that I was there. I think there might be one now, but it was all people who were studying different things and just doing it as a passion and then finding out that there is a career in it. So do you feel like Christopher Nolan inspired people because he kind of laid the way by attending a college, maybe studying something that wasn't strictly film school and then still carving out one of the most successful careers in current filmmaking history? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think a lot of people in the society kind of look to him as like an aspirational figure. And 
I mean, I think it's it's rare to like kind of have that career path, but it did definitely inspire a lot of people. And funnily enough, he studied English and all my friends that I still hang out with from that time. I'm the only one that didn't study English. Everyone <laughs> studied English and they're now working in film. I studied law, so I was I was a little nerd from the start. For the Americans who don't know what a society is or when you say film suck, what does that mean? It's it's like a club. But I feel like, say, like saying a film club sounds like a bit lame in the U- UK world. But it's a film club. But we make films, we watch films, and we socialize with people who like films. So it's all like a group of nerds who just hang out all the time and try and make films. And most of the films are unwatchable, but it's a great place to learn when you don't have a film program in your in your college. Yeah, absolutely. So after you graduated UCL, how did you land those first few jobs? So I started working on like some sketchy short films and stuff while I was at UCL. So outside of uni, I was working on these sketchy films and I got a few connections and like credits in in quotes you can't see this <laughs> um, on my CV and I applied for a trainee scheme in my third year with a diary service I don't know if you guys have that stuff there in the US but it's what is a diary service so a diary service is like an agency but they don't really like negotiate your rates or anything they just send you jobs and like book you I mean technically they manage your like work diary but ours isn't really like that what, what is a work diary so they it's like a booking agent is does that exist in the U- I know I'm like trying to say crews have like I guess because like there's unions in the U.S. and I guess unions are meant to like send people jobs no we actually talked about that in uh an episode with Amelia Wierenska about who does the makeup on Abbott Elementary about how people have this misconception that you join the union and then the union gets you jobs it just gives you permission to work on those jobs so it's kind of a dance of when to join the union but here it sounds like there's basically a pipeline like people who help fill the gap between finding crew and getting them on a production is that what it is yeah yeah so they like so a production would go to a diary service and then the diary service would like send them cvs from their members and stuff i I, i'm sure something like this must exist in the u.s in some form but i just don't know what the word is because when i went to australia i was like what is it and what's the equivalent of that and that existed as well so something like that the one that i was with was just for ad's and pas so they have a training scheme that's for like people who want to start out in the industry and want to most of them end up wanting to become ad's but they're just there to like place you on like big productions because they were former ad's so they if you need like a certain number of dailies they go to the agency and they just like supply them with like 10 people who can like lock off a street and that's how I got started properly like in film and tv drama like my first job on a tv drama was literally locking up a street and it was great because I met so many people on that job and then they got me a few more things you know locking up a power station for a Star Wars film like that kind of that kind of work like that's how they help you get started as a trainee and then they'll put you on their real diary service where they get you interviews with AD teams on big shows or small shows and for like actual contracted positions on the shows and so my first proper job was um, as a crowd PA on Aladdin and I got that through them 
that was very fun. So my first like proper job that wasn't like locking up a street was um, as a crowd PA on Aladdin. And that was really fun. I got that through the diary service. And we were at the back lot of a studio for two months that was built like Agrabah, the place that was it was set. And we were just like running around there with like up to 500 people and just having a great time. It was it was great, actually. This was like six years ago now. And I still keep in touch with those people like kind of loosely, but the crew that we were working with and also some of the crowd that we were working with, they like made a little group. And I think that was still one of my best jobs. And it was my first like proper, proper job, like learning in the AD department. And yeah. What was the diary service? So the diary service is called Call Time Company. I, everyone that like comes to me for advice and they like don't have any experience and stuff, I tell them that they should look into it if they want to work on set if they want to get into film and TV drama in the UK. They service like the whole of the UK as well. So it's not just London people. And, you know, I got the lockup job for the Star Wars film because they were looking for like locals in Southampton. And I said that I had a room there, but I just found myself a cheap room and everyone else that got that job also did the same thing. But yeah. <laughs> Classic. That definitely happens in the U.S. too. Yeah, and I think you know when once you get to the point where people will actually like pay for you to stay somewhere, that's when you know you've made it. I, I'm still waiting for my my time. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta go down to the set of the next Alex Rider shoot. I hope so. I hope I get to go to set more. I mean, I've been to like all of the sets once for each show and I one day I'll be there like more than once. <laughs> okay, an organization that was helpful was the Call Time Company, but there was also an organization you connected with in 2016 called The Network. Do you re recommend that to people as well? Oh yeah, definitely. I would recommend that if you specifically want to work in TV. So The Network is a new entrance scheme that runs every year at the Edinburgh TV Festival. At the time that I joined it, I wasn't super sure that I wanted to work in TV, but I knew I wanted to do drama. So I thought I would try it anyway. And it's it was like quite competitive. I think they said to us that like a thousand people applied and then 50 got in. It's now like up to 60, I think, because they want to let more people have the opportunity. So they take you up to the festival for a week and you stay there and you attend industry events there with the actual people that are attending the festival. And you also get a mentor from another scheme that is run by them called Ones to Watch, which is for people who are a bit more advanced, like a development exec or like a producer in factual or something like that, like those levels of roles. So someone from that scheme would mentor a network member as well. And you attend master classes with professionals and, you know, it could be with a director or producer. If you do the drama one or if you do the live TV one, it would be like people who usually work in that field. And then there's like talks with like controllers and commissioners and stuff as well. So it was it was great. And I think if I was more like sure that I wanted to do TV when I joined, I would have made more out of it. But it still helped me. And I, now that I am in the TV world, I have met people again from that time now so yeah 
it's a small industry. Yeah, it all comes back around. I say that all the time. I mean, these programs sound amazing. I'm not surprised they were so competitive. So happy to hear that worked out for you. Okay, let's talk about immigration. I think a lot of people would like to come to the UK and work on film. I see the same thing in Los Angeles. People want to come and work on film. And I think really to talk about this, we have to go back to baby Leia. Can you tell me where you were born and kind of your path moving around and ending up in the UK? Yeah, so I... Well, I'm from Hong Kong. I was born in Sydney, Australia, but my parents are from Hong Kong. I grew up in Hong Kong. I moved back there when I was a baby and just stayed there until I was 15. Went to Australia for a bit. Went back to Hong Kong because I wanted to do like a film course in high school and my school didn't have that in Australia. So it worked out for me, I think. And then I came to UK for uni in 2013 and stayed here throughout uni, applied for a working holiday visa to come back for two years and then couldn't stay anymore and then left, went to Australia, did a master's and then coming back here, I ended up marrying my partner to to stay in the country. And, but you guys had also been dating for a significant amount of time at that point, too. I mean, it seemed to be headed, if I might be so forward, in that direction, right? I mean, how long were you guys together before you made that decision? Uh, like seven years. So yeah, it, it's been a long time. I only wish that he would have said that he'll marry me before I had to leave the country and then come back. Like, I feel like if he agreed earlier. But Basically, back to the immigration thing. Moving to the UK, I think if you are from a country that has a youth mobility like connection with the UK, like so a lot of the Commonwealth countries have it, you know, Australia, Canada or Hong Kong, I think Taiwan, Korea, Japan, like a lot of places have this scheme where people under 30 or 35 from a certain country can go to another country and work for one or two years. And in the UK, it's actually got like one of the better ones where you're not restricted in terms of like what kind of employment you can take. So you can actually, and that visa was great because it let me freelance. It didn't tie me to a job. And I think there were people that I know who tried to like get on a grad scheme or something just to stay here and like get a visa. And I think they, that kind of stuff don't really work out unless you are really motivated to like leave the corporate world after you've got the visa. So yeah. And then everyone else that I know who's like not from the UK or has a UK connection or has a European passport at that time before Brexit that stayed here and was a freelancer, they were all here because they were married or living with a British or European person. So it's hard to like advise on that unless you were really lucky but I do know that my co-worker who is also Australian he came here and he started working at NBC and they sponsored his visa and he just stayed there until he got his permanent residency and then he could change jobs after that and then he ended up coming here so that it is possible to get sponsored if you go for a big company but you'd have to be in the company for a certain amount of time mm. And when you say he ended up, when you say he ended up coming here, you mean to 11th hour? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was at NBC for like seven years or something. And then he's changed jobs and came to become our head of development. But now he's moving back to Australia, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> Why is that? I think his partner wanted to try to move somewhere else before he reached the age limit for being like 
too old to apply for the youth thing. So yeah. So, you know, people move the other way around as well, but get into a big company or marry someone. That's how you move to the UK. I think freelancing is tough, but try the youth mobility thing because you never know what it's going to lead. And even if you don't end up staying, like when I moved back to Australia, I found that like all the experience that I had in the UK, like it helped me get jobs there, even though I didn't know anyone. So it was good. How did you leverage that experience? You mean listing on a resume or were there other steps that you took to leverage it? So I ended up studying, I ended up like enrolling in a master's, like there's cheap student loans there. Okay. In, in, Australia so it's fine it's not what's a cheap student loan like as in there's no interest really the government sponsors part of your degree and you pay the rest but you can put that all on a loan so it, it's very cheap compared to the U.S. if an upfront you only pay like $200 or something just for like the admin fee and then you don't pay anything else wow yeah I mean you yeah the UK is also very cheap compared to the U.S. but uh, a whole other podcast topic we could go in in yeah. depth but yeah so Yeah, so I I ended up doing that just so I could get some connections. But I think when I started the master's, I knew that like after having physically worked in the industry or like on proper like TV drama and film productions, even my like tutors were saying like, oh, you know, you know a lot about the stuff already. So yeah, listing it on a resume and then like having some like internationally recognized like credits that helps you anywhere, I guess, like in the level of show that you can access in the UK. If you're from a smaller industry or country with a smaller industry, I guess it it's on a different level, like maybe not as much as LA, but I think with the amount of like you US shows that come here, I think a lot of the productions that come out of the UK industry have like international recognition so they know that like your experience is legit I guess and I I think that helped that's good so that people have confidence going you know navigating a train can be challenging and intimidating but it's good to know that there are ways that you can use your experience and show people that you have something to bring to the table that someone without that experience would not So continuing along your path, how has your living situation over the years impacted your creativity? I know your husband also works in film and you live together. Does that affect your creativity differently than when you lived with people who perhaps weren't working in the industry? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really, I haven't really lived with anyone since I graduated, like other than my husband now but I I lived with my sister and her partner like during COVID but I just kind of ignored them so not really but I do think that like having friends who are creatives in either you know entertainment or other arts I think that really I think at uni it because everyone was like so close and like seeing each other all the time and and even during my master's that's really motivated me more to like kind of work on my own projects and stuff but now that everyone is just working and you're not outside of your work thinking so much about creative things I'm personally not really a creative so I just find myself focusing more on work work rather than having my own like passion projects or or side hustles and I I I want to like do more of that and I am producing a short a short film hopefully shooting maybe in January so and that's through people that I've known for like over 10 years now maybe or almost 10 years and just having those connections that helps me stay motivated but yeah I I do miss like being in a college environment and I think now I'm like maybe I should go back to school again but I've already done it twice so I can't 
Do you think there's anything in school that you would particularly need to learn to advance in your career? Is it just the environment that you're missing? I think it's mostly the environment. And I think because I haven't, I mean, my undergrad wasn't like a formal film school and I did go to like kind of a film school in Australia, but it's part of a real uni. I mean, I guess it's the same with USC and stuff, but it's part of real uni. Half of it was during COVID, so it's a little bit different. But I think the main thing that I would get from like a film school or any school is is just the people that you meet and I think having worked here for a while it's a lot about like who you it's all about who you know you can learn anything on the job but the connections that you make at uni I feel like are more like genuine (laughs) not that the people that you meet at work aren't but it's there's the boundaries are different and I think meeting like friend friends from like your beginner stages or like thinking all being like kind of at the same level that's just like so valuable I think when you're trying to carve your path in this like industry yeah definitely I think you hit the nail on the head totally I think it's also because you have time to develop those friendships over shared interests and shared experiences in college or uni as you say yeah and I think yeah and you get to like just know people more personally and I think at work you do as well but then everyone moves on to different jobs like you could have like this really like close relationship with someone over a short period and then when I was working in production and then you just don't really keep in touch with people as much. And yeah, like I, I just really like the college vibe, but maybe one day. Round three, third time is the charm. So before we get into the time capsule segment, let's get into some advice. If there was someone who was just starting out trying to do what you do, maybe the high school version, I don't know what the UK equivalent of high school is. I mean, I don't know, like I, I'll call it high school, yeah. Okay, so the high school version, the postgrad version, the you know current version. You've given some great tips about programs. Would that be the first place you'd point them, or what else would you advise? I think I think the way that I approach things is not really the same as like what a lot of people that I know do. I know a lot of people go down the like cold email, call people, go to loads of events route. I'm too awkward for all of that. So yes, I would say like a formal program for people who are more shy and like less out there is a great way to get started and there's loads in the UK there's like screen skills which I also did um, and they basically subsidize productions to hire you as a trainee or call time the network and they're like if you're living in a region in the UK there's programs for regional runners like people approach us from there as well so I think if if you're not like that confident networking or you aren't yet, because I think anyone can become confident in networking if they want to be, I'm not. But applying for one of these programs is a great place to start. And then if you are more like a hustler, then it is always worth like, you know, joining groups, attending events. And um, when I started, Facebook was a really big way to find jobs and I think a lot of people still post on Facebook but there are also like WhatsApp groups as well and made it but you need to like know someone to to get into the WhatsApp groups so just any connection is a good connection but once you're in the industry or like when you get your first job like network laterally as well as up nobody necessarily gave me that advice but that was like my approach that like network with people at your level because you never know like who's gonna move up to what and also just support each other and help each other get work and yeah so many people that I started off PAing with <laughs> rose up so quickly and and I think just be have a good relationship with people and have fun yeah that's all really good advice really solid advice good tips were there moments that you wanted to give up on your career in film and what kept you persevering through those moments yes <laughs> 
The short answer is yes. I think every time I've had to move countries, because it's such a network like based industry, every time I've had to move countries, whether it was to Australia or back here, or like when I didn't know where I was moving for this brief period of time between here and Australia, I was like, I should just give up and get a real job as in a non-film and TV job. But what motivated me to keep going was actually just this sounds really bad, but what's because I think what made me want to give up is saying thinking that I'll never get a job. And then what motivated me to keep going was just getting a job. <laughs> and I think it's really easy to, especially if you're a freelancer, to get trapped in this like mindset that like, oh, my God, this is the last job that I'm ever going to get. Like, especially now, like, you know, with the strikes and like when during COVID, I think a lot of people had that anxiety about getting their next job. And I've been doing it kind of on and off for like seven years. I've never had a problem getting a job. I, I think this sounds really bad, but like you always think that it's your last job, but a new opportunity will present itself as long as you're like open to trying different things and I think I became more open to like different paths that my career could go and that helped me get into my current position and literally like as soon as I got my visa to apply for a job within two weeks I was hired to work here so it just stop thinking so pessimistically I think this sounds really bad I think but it's true I think it sounds really bad because I know that there are people that like genuinely feel like they can't get a job but I think if you're like too fixed on like how your career needs to go then that might stop you but if you're open to trying loads of things there are so many different ways that you could get to where you want to be so if you're not having any luck in one way like try something else and then you could still end up in the same place yeah absolutely that's that's the whole namesake of no set path yeah i was thinking of that as i was saying it but i and i think that that was also one of the a good piece of advice that was given to us when i was with like a group training in the call time scheme because they're like just do everything just do anything like don't say no unless you have a genuine reason to say no just don't be say no to an opportunity because even though you think it might not be what you want to do it will probably still contribute to leading to where you want to go okay let's get into our time capsule segment starting with the past if you could leave a note for yourself 10 years ago with a piece of advice what would you say Five years ago, I think I would say pick what you want to do early. Like this totally contradicts like what I said just now about like just try everything. But I know that if I started, if I started focusing on like one department that I actually wanted to work in instead of like taking random jobs just because they were there, I would have maybe done more within the time that I had. So try anything but also be focused don't be pressured into saying yes to an opportunity just because it's there and feel free to say no and wait for a better opportunity or a more suitable opportunity so it's kind of one of those hindsight is 2020 things as well yeah i mean i think i mean i don't regret taking any of the jobs that i um took while i was like freelancing in the two-year period after college but i know that if i had like focused more on like this i want to like come out of it having worked on like this kind of stuff as this role i would have maybe found what i wanted to do earlier rather than just jumping around different departments for two years basically what is your favorite song right now oh god my my music taste is so embarrassing but like anything by the front bottoms i've just been listening to them and it's it's so embarrassing no what rock your own taste no set taste what is your favorite uk show right now versus us show i haven't watched 
any UK shows recently. I mean, except for my the shows that my companies are making. So I, I can't answer that question. But my favorite US show of all time is probably still The Office. <laughs> what is the best movie you've seen in the last year? And I know you're about to go see Barbie right after we finish this interview. So that one's out of the running for anyone listening. But what is your favorite movie you've seen in the last year? Would it be really weird if I said like probably Oppenheimer? So th- I'm doing the second part of Barbenheimer, like really delayed. I saw Oppenheimer first and I love it. You know, living up to the film sock meme of like being a Nolan fangirl. It was great. What food or drink item are you currently obsessed with? Sushi, always, always. What is your go-to order at Pret? An iced oat latte when they have ice. Uh, <laughs> And um, in the summer, probably the crayfish um, sandwich, which they recently brought back. They had it when we were at uni and they stopped having it for ages and now they have it again. So they have it as a salad, too. I just had that yesterday. Oh, yeah. The salad's great as well. But I need like carbs. What is the biggest cultural difference between Australia, Hong Kong and the UK that you've noticed? Oh, my God. Um, We were talking about this the other day. Like for me, like all of the these places are the same place, but. I think maybe um, Australians are more laid back, which is just such a cliche thing to say, but they are more laid back and Hong Kong people are out like in a scale, Melbourne, London, Hong Kong, it would probably go that way in terms of like chill to intense, like Hong Kong is the most intense. And I'm glad I don't live there anymore because people are just, there was like a poster that said like, oh, a New York minute is a Hong Kong second. Like that's totally true. I was, yeah. Interesting. What is the most recent lesson you've learned? And this could be in work or personal life. In work life, this isn't necessarily a lesson, but it's more like an advice that someone said, like, don't hide your homework. Like, don't be scared to like show people what you're doing and like what you've done. And I'm still learning that but I think I, I remind myself this all the time whenever I'm like learning something new so don't be afraid to like own your work basically what do you what do you mean don't like do something and then just not tell anyone about it because you're worried about what people are gonna say do you mean like sharing your work on Instagram or maybe hi- going into the company group chat and saying oh hey just update you here's what I did like could you be more specific yeah like more like the second one as in like don't like when you're working in a team like don't be afraid to own your contribution to the team and if you're doing something don't feel like you have to like wait for permission or approval and like you know be more proactive in terms of like asking for advice and that's how you learn yeah that's a great lesson who would be dream collaborators for you Mm, I don't know I don't know like I think I would right now I would just kind of want to work with like people that I'm friends with who are like who I grew up with at uni and like actually do something as us 10 years later. I I think that's my answer now. Very attainable. I definitely hope that comes true in the near future for you. What are your current interests or hobbies outside of work? Gaming, eating, road trips, making jokes on the internet, um, watching TikToks. I'm really boring. I I really don't. No, those are all good interests. What is your current pet situation? I don't have any, but I am currently looking for a dog. I'm hoping to get a poodle. So I'm hoping to have a dog by the end of the year. Okay. Paging poodle owners in the greater UK area. What are your tattoos? I have a, I have a dog tattoo on my arm and, and it was a total impulsive decision, but hopefully if we ever do a follow-up to this next time, I will have six dog tattoos. I just love dogs. And maybe six dogs, too. Just so 
Now we'll move on to the feature section, which you just have to get one dog a year for this to, to work out for the next, if we do this interview in five years. So five years from now, where do you imagine you will be living? I think realistically, probably still in London, but my husband wants to move to Australia. So either here or maybe in, in Australia. Is there anything you hope will have been invented in five years? Def- I mean, like an AI assistant, but one that like tells you what to think, probably. Okay, so kind of manages your tasks. Yeah, like reminds me of things and also just like tells me what like I should be thinking like a thought assistant. I think AIs like just feel bad to like I try and ask them like, tell me what I should be thinking about this. Oh gosh, this is inviting some tyrannical government behavior out of AI. But Yeah, but then they always say I can't answer that question. So I think right now AIs are like too tame to, to do that. You ask Siri, what should I be thinking about right now? Yeah, and then they're like, you know, like I can't, I can't help you with that. Or I asked ChatGPT what I should be thinking about, and they they can't advise on that. So hopefully one day an AI can advise on it and not be like spreading propaganda or something. <laughs> the year is 2028. Where is the eighth season of Alex Ryder set? Hong Kong, maybe, <laughs> or or Australia. There is a book that's set in Australia. I really hope that like that would be a thing. That would be awesome. The year is 2028, so it's currently 2023. And congratulations on your very recently past one year anniversary to your husband Peter. So the year is 2028. What is your sixth wedding anniversary gift for Peter? A sixth dog. <laughs> Hopefully, (laughs) I love it. Here is a recap of some takeaways from my conversation with Leah. One, experience is experience and you can find ways to have it help benefit the next job, regardless of the geographic location. Two, network laterally as well as upward. Three, if you're introverted, cold emailing and traditional networking aren't the only ways to move forward. Look for local development or referral programs, or schemes as they're called in the UK, that specialize in helping people break in. Four, if you feel stuck, be open to trying other avenues you haven't considered before. You may be surprised what parts of the process you fall in love with. Five, saying yes to new opportunities can expand your horizons. Six, however, intentionally saying no to opportunities can help you determine where your priorities and passions are aligned. And seven, don't hide your homework. Don't be afraid to show people what you've done and own your contributions. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of No Set Path. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate it and share it with a friend, especially if you can think of someone who might benefit from the knowledge that was shared here today. You can keep up with the podcast on all social platforms at No Set Path Show or on the website at www.nosetpathshow.com. Thanks so much for being part of this community and we'll talk to you soon.